It's good to be back with you. Um, I'm thankful for uh, you allowing me to come back and preach God's Word. I love doing it, and so um, I'm glad to be with you. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I'll give you a moment to turn there. If you don't have your Bible, we should have it on the screen. So I'm going to read the text in its entirety, uh, verses 1 through 10. And then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. So Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I, that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in this place this morning. There are people in this room who need a word from you. And so, God, I pray that your word would not go unheard. I pray that your spirit would move, convict, empower, and just lead us as your church to go be the hands and feet of Christ. Because, God, we know that grace is for everyone. So, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So, verse 1, it says, Luke, Luke, who writes this gospel, he starts out saying this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. So, at this moment, Jesus is, is teaching. And Jesus is doing what Jesus does best. He's proclaiming the gospel, the good news that Jesus, that God the Father has sent His Son, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Promised One who would come to save His people from His sins. The kingdom of God is at hand, and Jesus is proclaiming this good news Himself. And in the midst of all of this, when Jesus is teaching, crowds of people flock to Him. It happened all the time. People were drawn to Jesus because of His healings, because of His miracles, because of His wisdom, because of His teachings, because of the supernatural power that existed in Him. But people were also drawing near to Jesus because he was kind to people. He had compassion on people. Jesus cared about everyone. And Jesus spent time with everyone that came around him. And so people were often drawn to Jesus. Every time he walked, every time Jesus was on the move, crowds of people just drew near to him. And so included in these crowds of people, verse 1 says, are tax collectors and sinners, they're drawing near to Jesus too. Why? Because they wanted to hear him. Who wouldn't want to hear from a man who claimed to be God, could actually back that claim up with his healings, with his power, with his wisdom, with his teachings. And attached to that claim is an invitation 
for everyone to be included. Everyone is included. That's what made Jesus so special, and that's what made Jesus so different. So tax collectors and sinners were just lining up, drawing near to hear Jesus speak. You know, I have a hard time today imagining that the IRS is just lining up to hear Jesus speak. I don't know about you. But at any rate, tax collectors were drawing near to Jesus. Why is Luke mentioned tax collectors and sinners. Why is there like a different category? Tax collectors were despised and hated by everyone. In fact, tax collectors were like the most hated people in Jewish culture. (laughs) That didn't come out of my mouth. Uh, But a basic understanding of tax collectors for us in Jesus' day would, would, would for us to know that they robbed people. They robbed their own people, more or less. They what they would do is they would come alongside the Roman occupancy or the Roman occupation. They would come alongside them, work with them by taking taxes from their own people and pocketing some of that money for themselves, and they would actually get rich off of it. And by the way, the, the money that they're taking from their own people and giving to the Romans would most likely be used to finance their military, the Roman military that's taking siege in their city and in their neighborhood. And just so you know, the Roman Empire was not a kind regime. They were amazing and incredible at instilling fear in people. They were horrible people. The Romans were horrible people. They murdered. They hurt. They, they brutally beat and killed women, men, and children. They did not care. In fact, their empire reigned from, if you were to look at a map today and look where England is, all the way to India. They owned that whole landmass. They were a brutal and horrible people, and people feared them. And you wonder why. It's because of the things that they did. But now, your next-door neighbor, the tax collector, is taking your money and helping fund their oppressing army that's taking siege in your own neighborhood. So you can see how, when you read this amazing, incredible parable of the lost sheep, this, this story where the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after that one that's lost, and he puts it on his shoulders, and he brings it back. It's an amazing, really, really cool and neat church story. But you can imagine how easy it can be as you read this text to easily skim over tax collectors and sinners who are drawing near to hear Jesus. Because the best part of this story is, well, the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. But Luke does not want us to miss what's happening in this text and what's happening in this parable. Tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear Jesus. They were horrible people. And again, everybody hated them. They were not liked by anyone except maybe their fellow tax collector buddies. But knowing this, you might think, man, yeah, I mean, I'd hate them too. In verse 2 it says, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They muttered, they complained that Jesus was hanging out with these people. But I wouldn't be so quick to judge the Pharisees and the scribes at grumbling. Not after, not after looking a lot closer at this text. You wonder why they're doing that. It actually gets worse, in fact. I think it's in Luke 19. There's a man named Zacchaeus. The Bible says he's a chief tax collector. And again, crowds of people are flocking to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus wants in. He wants to see what's going on. I don't know why the Bible says that he's a little person, but he's a little person. He can't see the crowds of people. So Zacchaeus climbs a tree, and he wants to see Jesus and hear Jesus. Well, thousands of people came to hear Jesus speak often. 
and in the midst of thousands of people that were around, Zacchaeus is up on a tree, and he sees everything. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus from a distance, I imagine. And I imagine Jesus fighting through the crowd of people who all wanted to hear him, who all wanted to meet him, who all wanted to probably shake his hand. And Zacchaeus, or Jesus fights through that crowd and goes straight to Zacchaeus. And he looks up Zacchaeus in that tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. Tonight we're going to go eat dinner at your house. The most hated people <laughs> in Jerusalem, the most hated people in, in Jewish culture, and the Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one who, who came, the, the one who claimed to be God, says, look, tonight I'm going to go have dinner with Zacchaeus and his friends. But again, don't be so quick to judge the Pharisees. They're looking at Jesus encountering Zacchaeus and saying, you're going to go eat dinner with him? But these are the people who were drawn to Jesus. These are the people whom Jesus hung out with. These are the people whom Jesus ate meals with. And it's these people, these despised, hated tax collectors. It's where we get a glimpse of how amazing the grace of our God is. That's the gospel. That's not it. Luke tells us it's not just tax collectors that are drawing near to Jesus, it's sinners. So right off the bat, when you read this, if you're like me, I'm thinking, well, sinners, that's you. That's me. That's all of us. That's everyone. We're all sinners until we're saved by God's grace and mercy through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's everyone. Tax collectors and everyone, it should say. But not so much in Jesus' day. Sinners were kind of primarily in their own class of people. It was associated, this, this term sinners was associated with people who were, had deformities, people who were crippled, people who were blind and lame and deaf, and people who had leprosy, the people who had diseases, those people who had professions of ill repute like prostitutes. Those were the sinners in Jesus' day. Yet Jesus is hanging out with this crowd of people. These are the people that Jesus ate dinner with. These are the people that Jesus invited himself into their homes. Because this is who our God cares about. It's these people that Jesus wants to experience the grace of the Father. This is the kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming. It's the kind of kingdom where everyone is included. So let me ask you a question, a question that I've, I've been asking myself as I've read and studied this text. Is this the gospel that you and I are proclaiming? The kind of gospel that has a grace that extends to everyone. Or are you reaching out to and investing in the people that you're more familiar with? You know, the kind of people that look like you, talk like you, act like you, think like you, dress like you, the people that you're comfortable with, the people who kind of have the same jobs that you have, make around the same money that you make? Are those the people that you're investing in? Are those the people that you're reaching out to? Are those the people that you're sharing meals with? Or an even tougher question is, are, are you even reaching out to people at all? Because if you're only spending time with Christians, if I'm only spending time with Christians, then we're not being like Christ, who left the 99 to seek after that one lost person. I mean, just in the last chapter, in chapter 14, Luke 14, 
Jesus gives this parable of this great banquet. Jesus is literally dining at a fancy dinner at a rich Pharisee's house. And the Pharisee sends out these invitations to this great party. And he sends out these invitations to the kind of people, the prominent people, who could actually pay him back with the same hospitality. So Jesus, seeing this, he tells this parable of this great banquet that's going to take place. He says, a table's going to be set for all people to enjoy the presence of God. And these invitations go out in this parable. The people begin to make excuses why they can't come. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. Maybe, maybe next week. The table of God's grace is set for all people, but people provide excuses. Think back how many times you've invited people to church. What are, what's their excuses? You want me to go to a church that expects me to give my money, my hard-earned money, 10% of my money? You want me to go to that place with you? They ask for money every single they do series on money alone? I'm supposed to give them, you want me to come to a place like that? You want me to come to a place where, where, where the people frown upon same-sex relationships? Are you kidding me? That's not, no. You want me to come to a place where you have uh, scriptures that say I can't sleep with my significant other unless we're married? You want me to come to a place like that with you? You want me to come to a place that says I can't, continue on in my addictions, my vice, the thing that I love to do, the thing that quite honestly makes me miserable and empty, you want me to come to a place that really pushes me towards giving that up? People prioritize other tasks, other things, other people. People prioritize themselves over God all the time. And this is not new. This is old news. This is, it's been the same since the beginning. And so the master in this parable says, look, extend an invitation to the ones who can't actually pay you back. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, the guest list for this great banquet, it's going to look a lot different than you actually think. In fact, in Luke 14, verse 13, it says, but when you give a feast, invite the crippled and the poor and the lame and the blind, i.e. the sinners, because in their day, these kind of deformities and deficiencies were thought to be uh, associated with some kind of sin. Remember the story of Jesus and his disciples? They were walking along, I think it's John 9. And Jesus' disciples, they see a man who was born blind. They look at Jesus and then they look at that blind man and they say, Hey, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So when people saw a blind man or woman, or a leper, they'd instantly connect it with sin. And so the least likely, and considered, honestly, the most unworthy of such an invitation, invite them, Jesus says. And then in Luke 14, verse 23, he says, and then go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. So now he's saying, go out, and invite the outsiders and the foreigners and the sojourners, the people on the outside of the city gates, the people who may not have had any intentions of coming in the, into the city in the first place. Go out and grab them and hand them an invitation. And so we read now in Luke 15, tax collectors and sinners. Now we know who tax collectors are. Now we know who sinners are. They're drawing near 
to hear Jesus speak. Here's why. It's because Jesus sees something different in people. He doesn't look at people through the lens of the world. Jesus looks at people through the lens of the Father. Jesus looks at people through the lens of grace. Because God the Father has a massive, massive love for people. The worst of people. Sinners. You and me. And he shows it by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And so word gets around. More tax collectors, more sinners are drawing near to hear Jesus speak. Because the grace of God is for everyone. And word has gotten around. Jesus is eating and hanging out with and having conversations with these kinds of people. And word gets around. And so people flock to him because everyone's invited. The invitation of the grace and forgiveness of God is extended to everyone. All people. And the Pharisees hated this. Verse 2. Luke 15, verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees do what the Pharisees did best when Jesus was around. They complained. They were angry. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. But he's hanging out with hookers and tax collectors. And the Pharisees are furious at this. Partly due to the fact that uh, because they were the most religious of all the religious people. I mean, they're on an entirely different level, the Pharisees were. They had the whole Torah memorized, the first five books of the Bible. They had it memorized. It was a requirement for them to have the first five books of the Bible completely and fully memorized. They actually kept the Sabbath. Man, that's hard today, isn't it? We live in a fast-paced, busy, busy, busy society. Who who would have ever thought it would be hard to keep the Sabbath? But the Pharisees did it. They actually rested. In fact, they would hardly even take any steps because they thought if they walked too much, it would be considered work. So these guys were honestly pretty crazy, but they kept the law almost perfectly. So for them to look and see Jesus, this one who claimed to be the Messiah, he claimed to be God in the flesh, for them to look over him at him and see that he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, they're furious. They hate this. So they begin to complain like they always did. We have the Bible memorized. We don't even walk on the Sabbath. We pray in the city streets so that everyone can see us. And Jesus, you're eating with prostitutes and lepers? You're rubbing elbows with sick people? And having laughs with people who are blind? Are you kidding me? But before we point fingers at the self-righteous, we need to examine ourselves, don't we? How often do we look at felons, racists, murderers, people who are struggling with drug addiction, punk-looking kids who are up to no good, how often do we look at them and despise them? We look at them with disgust and with repute. And we become so turned off by them that we want to head in the opposite direction. They're not worth my time. I'm not going to reach out to them. You know what they've done? You know what their track record is? You want me to go and reach out to them? You want me to extend a grace to them? Are you kidding me? Someone else can do that. Someone else who's gone through what they've gone through, 
kind of looks like them, talks like them, acts like them, thinks like them, dresses like them. Let those people go to them, but not me. They're not worth my time, not because of what they've done. I would never invest in that kind of person. I would never reach out to that kind of person. I would never have a meal with those people. But what about this? What if someone else does not come along? What if God has sovereignly purposed you around those people? So he can extend his love, his grace, and his forgiveness that was extended to you and me through you. And so, these were the people that Jesus received. These were the people that Jesus ate with. He went into their houses and he had a meal with them. He invested in them. He cared about them. He gave them the time of day. He extended grace to these people, the least likely of all people. When it says that Jesus received sinners, it's saying that he welcomed them. Our Heavenly Father welcomes sinners, just like you, just like me. And we need to do the same. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, this is kind of overwhelming. You want everyone to know Jesus just like I do. You want the lost to be found. You want people to turn from death to life. You want that. And I would submit to you that if you don't want that, you need to examine your own heart. Think about your context right now, your everyday life. Who are you around that you know that's not connected to a church? That's, that's not living a word, word of God-saturated life. Whether they were raised in the church or not, if they're not connected to a church, if you have any, have any idea that maybe they're not connected to Christ, like this could be a lot of people. I, I get it. The people in your neighborhood, people you work with, the, the people in your own family, all the people far from God who need to repent and turn to God. Who do you know? Who can you pray for? Who can you reach out to? And so you might think, well, this is overwhelming. Where do I begin? If you're like me, you can think of a lot of people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your own family who need to hear about the grace of God, who need to turn from darkness to light. And it can be overwhelming. So you might think, where do I begin? Well, look at verse 3. So the tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to hear Jesus. The Pharisees, the Pharisees are furious at this. So Jesus continues on in this parable. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Okay, so if you're overwhelmed like I am, what if we simplify it? What if you just focused on one person? Just one person instead of many people. One instead of many. Let that be what you remember when you walk out of here. One instead of many. What if you just focused on one person? In the story uh, of this parable, the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. What Jesus is saying is he's showing us just how important, how valuable that one sheep is. That one person is. He leaves the 99 in the open field. No protection. Unguarded, no supervision, and he goes on a search and rescue mission for that one that's lost, that one that's gone astray. And we don't know how it got lost. Maybe he took a wrong turn. 
Maybe he got involved in the wrong crowd. Maybe his or her parents didn't raise them up in the Lord. Maybe they didn't grow up in the church. Maybe they didn't have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. They have not heard an authentic explanation of the gospel. Maybe they're just oblivious to all things spiritual. Maybe they just don't know any better. Maybe they grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. That's the only life that they've ever known. Maybe their sphere of influence that they've had, that they've ever known, is of worldly and ungodly people. You see where I'm going with this, right? This isn't about sheep. This is about people, and this is about today. You might not know how exactly that person is lost, but they're lost, and it's God's desire and his mission to seek them out. And it should be our desire and our mission, the mission of the church, the desire of God's church to seek these people out. What if everyone in this room right now prayed for just one person to invest in? Just one person who didn't look like you, act like you, talk like you, dress like you, think like you? What if one person, every, every person in this church right now in this building, what if we all prayed for one person to invest in? For one person for God to place in our life that's not connected to a church that we can share a meal with? can have a cup of coffee with we can invest in that person we can spend our time and our energy and our resources to help that one person to to seek out that one person knowing that they are deeply loved and deeply important and deeply valued by God the next parable that Jesus gives in Luke 15 is, is about a woman who has 10 coins but she loses one of them so she lights a lamp and, and sweeps her whole house Diligently, it says, looking for that one coin. She probably flips the couch cushions upside down, sweeping that house. Got her lamp. She's looking everywhere for it until she finds it. And this reminded me of what I do when I lose my wallet. I flip couch, couch cushions. When couch cushions end up out of the window somehow. I'm flipping tables upside down. There ends up being a dent in the wall, maybe. I'm looking for my wallet. And now I'm looking in the freezer in the refrigerator. And I know it's not there. But I'm seeking diligently to find what I value, what's important to me. I'll look in places where I know there's no way it could be. But I'm seeking diligently to find what matters to me, what I value. Shouldn't we react and live the same about those who are lost and far from God? Shouldn't we care more for the lost than our own? wallets, our debit cards, our own finances, we should be desperate for God to save more people who are lost and far from him because it is his desire for that to happen. And we as his church have been given, have been mandated for this mission, to proclaim the gospel, to seek and save the lost, to go out to the ends of the earth baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the mission that Jesus gave His church. And so how can we do that? Well, for starters, we can start praying. It's as practical as can be. A pastor by the name of Bo Chancy um, wrote this devotional book titled Pray for One. And the whole book is really is living every day with a simple prayer. God, give me one person to share your love with. 
a simple, basic prayer. God, give me one person to share your love with. But if meant with true intentions and a pure heart, you can expect God to place that one person in your life. And you can expect for it to be clear. Who can we invest our lives in? Who can we share Jesus with? Who is far from God? Who needs to hear the gospel? Who do you and I need to pursue? Just like the shepherd who went out looking for that one. This is God's heart for the lost. And it must be ours too. So I want to challenge you, church, as I'm challenging myself. Over the next 21 days, just 21 days, you know they say it takes 21 days to build a habit. So for the next 21 days, start praying every day. God, give me one person to share your love with. God, who's one person that I can invest in? Who's one person that I can share a meal with? Who's one person I can take out to have a cup of coffee? Who's one person that I can interact with and share Jesus with? Who's one person that I can invite to church? How easy it is to invite people to church. Just one person that I can share the light of Christ with. Just 21 days, start praying that prayer. God, give me one person to share your love with. I would even say start fasting too. 21 days, start fasting. For me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast over the next three weeks from 10 a.m. on Thursday to 10 a.m. on Friday. And I just want you to know, I work at the church on Thursday nights, and every Thursday night they order in several pizzas. There's always pizza left over. I always eat like two to three to sometimes even four slices. I'm going to be real hungry at that time, especially if I haven't eaten all day and I've only had water. But it's going to remind me not to eat because I'm fasting. I am praying. I am seeking God, which is more important than devouring three or four slices of pizza. And I'm praying, God, who's that one person that I can continue to invest in? Who's that one person that needs to hear the heartbeat of our God? Who can I spend a time of, of, of having coffee with? Who can I invite into my home and share a meal with? God, who's that one person? So I'm going to fast for 24 hours just for the next three weeks. Just 21 days as a church. What if we all did that? What if some of you grouped together and said, look, we're going to come up here on a Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. and we're going to fast and we're going to pray. We're going to open the word of God and we're going to seek out who are those people in our lives that we can invest in? Who are those people that we can uh, have a meal with? Who, who can we invite to, to, for people to see the gospel through our family, to see the gospel through our marriage? Who are those people? Pray and seek diligently for those people. God will make it clear to you. So just for the next 21 days, what if we all did this? And Chris and I, starting next month in March, we're going to cover all five weeks, all of the all five Sundays in, in March, and we're going to start working through the book of 1 Corinthians. And Lord willing, we'll take it into the month of April. And we're going to see what the church looks like in a world that is so divided and so lost. Who are we as the church of God? And so we're going to explore 1 Corinthians. Uh, Corinthians and what Paul says in that letter to the church. Invite people to come to Hillcrest. Bring your neighbors. Invite them into your home. Have a meal with them and say, look, I I go to this church and I think you would love it. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk about some things that you've had questions before in the past. It's going to be awesome. I want you to come. I think you should come. We'll take you out to lunch after. It is so easy to do that. It is so easy to do that. So for the next 21 days, group together. For the next 21 days with your spouses, me and my wife are going to pray together. Purposely, we're going to set aside a time, one or two days a week, where we're going to pray together. God, who can we invest in? 
as a marriage, as a, as a home, as a family? Who can we invest in? Who can we invite into our home to have dinner with, to have lunch with? Who can we tell the gospel with? It's far easier than you think, I promise. But an easy way to begin this new journey, start praying. God, give me one person to share your love with. God wants to work his power through you. If the spirit of God lives in you, you are compelled to do what the word of God says. If you are not compelled to do what God's word says, if you are not compelled to obey the word of God and live on mission everywhere you are, then you need to check yourself as a Christ follower. God's word declares us to share this good news. God, give me one person to share your love with. This is what Jesus did. Jesus prayed all the time. He prayed all the time. And there were people who needed Jesus constantly. But people didn't meet the needs of all people. He prayed and he sought his Father's will. And his Father led him to where he went all the time. Pray. Because this is what Jesus did. And let people see the gospel through your marriage, through your family, through your kindness, and through your compassion and your interest in people. Jesus cared most about people. He cared most about people. Verse 5. So the shepherd goes out. He looks for that lost sheep. Verse 5. And when he has found it, he says, or he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. When you spend time praying for that one, you begin to invest in that one person. You've had that one person over for dinner. You've, you've had that one cup of coffee with that one person. You've prayed for that one person. You've invited that one person to your church, Hillcrest. They've heard the word of God. They've had their conversations with you. You have proclaimed the gospel through your own life. What happens when that one person makes the decision to follow Christ? What happens when that one person tells you they don't want to be baptized? When people realize their need for God and understand God's love for them, they make that decision to be baptized. They turn from death to life because you invested in them. You poured your life into them. You prayed for them. It's a time of rejoicing. Max Lakato has this quote that I found on the internet. When you arrive in heaven, I wonder if Christ might say, because of you, others are here today. May that be so for us. May that be so for you. May that be so for me. Maybe I, I shared this back in January. But a woman in our apartments uh, who's had some trials in her life, she's had experienced some loss. She's walked through and experienced and endured an addiction with alcoholism. She's been sober for some time. But I ran into her again. I've had several, several conversations with her since we've lived there the last few months. And I ran into her a few weeks ago. And it was just a, a God-appointed moment that I met her that morning when I was taking out the trash. We just started talking like we always did. We've, this woman who's 60 years old, her and I have cried together. We've swapped stories, our testimonies. and She's not a Christ follower. She's not engaged or, or connected with the church. And she begins to tell me, I've been reading Scripture. I've been reading the Word of God. And I know that when I got sober years ago, it wasn't because of my own strength. It was because God was with me. She gave glory to God from years past for overcoming her alcoholism. This woman told me, Nate, I want to be baptized. Nate, can you baptize me? 
This made me want to cry. 60-year-old woman. God's not through with her. If she's still breathing on this earth, God is not through with her or anyone for that matter. We, stole, we told this story that I just shared with you at our church. So the room full of uh, all the staff at our church, all the elders were there. They shared this story in front of everyone, the big room full of people, of how amazing it is to hear what God is doing in this woman's life. And we as a staff and a room full of people just exploded with excitement. We rejoiced in what God was doing in this woman's life. I've just been an instrument. I'm thankful that God has given me a heart that is so willing to reach out to people who look different than me, talk different than me, dress different than me, maybe think a little different than me, might be three decades older than me, but God has given me a willing heart to reach out to those people. And praise God that she has made a decision. I want to follow Christ. I want to be baptized. And I want to tell you, it even gets better than a room full of people on this earth who are rejoicing in that. Verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Every time a person makes a decision for Christ, heaven rejoices. Every time a person who acknowledges that Jesus is Lord and repents of their sin and turns to God, heaven rejoices. Every time just one person turns from death to life, all of heaven rejoices. Louis Giglio, who's a pastor at a church in Atlanta, he actually leads this huge, huge conference that happens every year. Um, It's a conference that's put on by 18 to 25-year-olds, and about 65,000 18 to 25-year-olds attend this conference. This is a picture that you can hardly see, but you see that girl in the middle there? She's on her face, basically. You can't read the caption, but I'm going to read it to you. 65,000 people present. This was just about a month ago. Louis Giglio, uh, Giglio posted this on Instagram. This is the caption of that picture. When 65,000 people there. When a massive stadium filled with 65,000 18 and 25 year olds, the Spirit of God touches one person in an intimate moment of personal transformation as if they are the only person in the room. That's amazing. The room doesn't have to be a big arena with 65,000 people, the room can be as small as this one with the group of people of this size. Right now, in this moment, the Spirit of God is speaking to someone in this room saying, It's time for you to repent. You need to turn back to God. And here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's the beauty of our God. Every time one person goes astray, every time one person messes up, every time one person finds themselves in an addiction that other people look at and despise, our Heavenly Father says, I'm here with open arms waiting for you to come home as if you never even left. That's the beauty of our God. And just when one person repents all of heaven explodes with joy there is joy before the angels of god over one sinner who repents so grace we've got to extend it we've got to be the hands and feet of our god we've got to extend this grace but here's the thing grace isn't just for the ones who are lost and without christ grace is for you and grace is for me grace is for the church the last parable that jesus gives the one of the prodigal son Another familiar parable. This father gives this incredible inheritance early to his two sons. One of them takes that inheritance and flees from his family. And he goes out into the world and he experiences the world. And he squanders 
all of it, prostitutes and living in the world. He's living the high life. And you know what? He finds himself, run, he ran dry. He's out of money. He's feeling empty, miserable, I imagine, and he comes home. He comes back to dad saying, man, I don't even have to see my dad. Like, if I could just work my way back into the family, like, I'll just sleep with the pigs. Like, I'm good with that. But the father in this story says, no, that's not good enough for me. Go and get the fattest calf, bring it here, and tell everybody, because we're going to have a party, and we're going to celebrate, because my lost son has returned. My, my son that I, I gave this inheritance to, that I trusted with this inheritance, when he left and he squandered it all away and he lived in the world and he experienced all the hardships and all the brokenness and he came up dry and he ran on empty and he's miserable and he's alone and he thinks he has to sleep with the pigs and I need to tell him, no way. We're going to throw a party for you because you've come home. That is our God. And this has hit home for me because I know a lot of people who are living in the world, whether they're racist, whether they hate the church, and I have not done my part. I have been so self-righteous in that regard. And I need to change my heart. I need to extend grace. I need to find a way to love people, even if they're different than me. That's what we need to do as the church. And so I want to I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to pray over you. And here's one I want to pray. It's a two-part prayer, really. The first part is I want to just give you a moment to pray and ask God, as you begin this next 21-day journey, I want you to ask the Lord, God, who's one person that I can share your love with? Who's one person that I can invest in? Who's one person that I can take out to a cup of coffee and just share my story, share my testimony, share the gospel with God? Who's one person that we can invite into our home? I just want to give you a moment and pray that prayer real quick. The second part is there's, there's, there's someone in this room who's living in the world, living in their sin, not experiencing the power of God because they've gone astray. They're living in the world. And although they come to church, they're not experiencing the fullness of God's Spirit. And I just want to pray over you, God. I just pray that you would convict their hearts, but also overwhelm them with the love of the Father. God, I pray that they would hear the grace that is being extended to them this morning. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no work to be done. A simple prayer of repentance and say, I want to come back to the Father. I want to live a life that abides in the Word of God. I want to live a life that abides in Christ. I want to walk in God's ways. And I want to live in a life that is pleasing and acceptable to Him. And so I just want to offer you a time to pray a prayer of repentance and know that at the end of that prayer you are made new and purified and that you can walk with God. Father, I just thank you for the Word. I thank you for your faithfulness, God, that your Word is clear, that it still speaks today, that it is alive and transforms lives. Father, may that be so through our lives. Let us boldly proclaim your word through just a cup of coffee with a person, through a meal with another person. God, help us, compel us to go out and seek and save those who are far from you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.